The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Christmas Parenthetical 2021 It is December, and we are approaching Christmas as I draft this episode. The fulcrum of history occurred in a little hamlet in a Roman backwater over 2,000 years ago. Like so many things concerning this person, his birth was paradox. A child was born to poor, displaced, disgraced, and oppressed parents, perhaps the most common of all birth stories. But this common birth was most uncommon, as it was God become man, the Incarnation. We should never forget that this is the central fact of history, and its proclamation is the foundation of everything here at the Christian Atheist. I do not think, however, that one need believe in Christ to begin to follow this way. I believe that those who truly seek will find, and that all truth leads to Him. This is a central pillar for my life and practice, and it is why I spend so much time trying to get it right, why truth is so important to me, and why I am so concerned to uncover the historical origin of our present age's radical denial of truth. Truth is most properly conceived as the Incarnation itself, the God-Man, as transcendent reality bounded by an imminent humanity. Truth is human and divine, being and becoming, expressed by both Aristotelian and dialectical logic when properly ordered. Ideas matter. Human reason, like the Creator from whose image it sprang, touches the infinite, the unbounded, even within the spatio-temporal reality of a single human mind. But while the infinite ranges free in this realm of reason, it is possible to forget the being, the way, the reality that constrains its free play. Ideas, too, can become incarnate. Indeed, they almost always do. We rational creatures, though, dwell in a real world of values, of logic, and of consequences. We are bounded, that is, limited by constraints, some obvious and unignorable, and others less so, but no less real. Ideas come to us from the infinite realm where freedom plays, where boundaries can be created and traversed at will, from the realm of pure reason, as Kant called it. The test of those ideas, however, is the crucible of experience, of reality. That is, the truth of an idea is discovered in its incarnation, 
Kant spoke of this incarnation of ideas in his notion of real possibility. The category of the really possible, Kant maintained, is no larger than that of the actual. What he meant by this is that while we can play with ideas in free speculative inquiry, the only way to tell if they are really possible is to discover them, to live them at the empirical level. When we find them in life, we know that they are really possible, and not until then. In its own way, this is nothing more than an application of the scientific method. We can imagine hypotheses to our heart's content, but the only way to see if they are viable, literally livable from the Latin, is to test them. Are they true? Are they more than a speculative story about reality? Only their real-life appearance and proper empirical function can answer that question. From a value judgment perspective, we ask the question, what sort of result do we obtain from this ethical formulation? Like Jesus said, by their fruits you must judge. Notice, however, that this is not a doctrine of consequentialism. It is not the case that a good result makes the ethical formulation good, but rather that the goodness of the result indicates the real-world goodness of the ethical formulation, its correspondence with the true and the good. Goodness precedes the result, indeed, creates it. This is a version of the Euthyphro dilemma. Is something good because God declares it good, or does God declare it good because it is good? It is only the latter formulation that works for a Christian. For the one true God, the great I am, goodness, value, is an element of being itself, that which we finite creatures discover in the world, that which constrains and forms us, makes us the sort of beings that we are. The existential philosophers of the 20th century spoke of thrownness, that we find ourselves in a particular world, in a particular time and place, and each of us with a unique locus and perspective, none of which we have chosen. But we human beings value things, and value them in the particular way that we do, because we are limited beings. That is, value itself is necessarily a mixture of the human and the divine, of both becoming and being, of the real and the ideal. As we celebrate the birth of the Savior this year, the incarnate Word of God, we need to be particularly aware that in Jesus we find balance. We find truth. Jesus was neither right nor left. And this is not because he was not political, but because he is love, righteousness, and truth. Fully God, fully man. We should be careful of aligning ourselves too tightly to any ideology or sect, 
as these claim something we human beings are unable to attain. Certainty. Such certainty leads to arrogance, to excess, to hatred, to violence. My nephew, Seth, posted a quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Ethics that expresses this point better than anything I could say. Bonhoeffer's words are incredibly relevant to all we have been saying about the battle between Kant and Hegel. Quoting now from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Ethics. In Jesus Christ there is neither radicalism nor compromise, but there is the reality of God and men. There is no Christianity in itself, for this would destroy the world. There is no man in himself, for he would exclude God. Both of these are merely ideas. Only the God-man Jesus Christ is real. And only through him will the world be preserved until it is ripe for its end. Radicalism always springs from conscious or unconscious hatred of what is established. Christian radicalism, no matter whether it consists in withdrawing from the world or improving the world, arises from hatred of creation. The radical cannot forgive God his creation. He has fallen out with the created world. The Ivan Karamazov, who at the same time makes the figure of the radical Jesus in the legend of the Grand Inquisitor. When evil becomes powerful in the world, it infects the Christian, too, with the poison of radicalism. It is Christ's gift to the Christian that he should be reconciled with the world as it is. But now this reconciliation is accounted as betrayal and denial of Christ. It is replaced by bitterness, suspicion, and contempt for men and the world. Compromise always springs from hatred of the ultimate. The Christian spirit of compromise arises from hatred of the justification of the sinner by grace alone. The world and life within have to be protected against encroachment on their territory. The world must be dealt with solely by means which are of the world. The ultimate has no voice in determining the form of life in the world. Even the raising of the question of the ultimate, even the endeavor to give effect to God's word and its authority for life in the world, is now accounted as radicalism and apathy or antipathy towards the established orders of the world and towards men who are subject to these orders. That freedom from the world which Christ Jesus has given to the Christians, as well as the renunciation of the world, 1 John 2.17, is now denounced as opposition to creation, as unnatural estrangement from the world and from men, and even has hostility towards them. In their place, adaptability, even to the point of resignedness, and mere worldly-wise prudence and discretion, are passed off as genuine openness to the world, and as genuine charity. Radicalism hates time, and compromise hates eternity. Radicalism hates patience, and compromise hates decision. 
Radicalism hates wisdom, and compromise hates simplicity. Radicalism hates moderation and measure, and compromise hates the immeasurable. Radicalism hates the real, and compromise hates the word. To contrast the two attitudes in this way makes it sufficiently clear that both are opposed to Christ. For in Jesus Christ, those things which are here arranged in mutual hostility are one. The question of the Christian life will not, therefore, be decided and answered either in radicalism or by compromise, but only in reference to Jesus Christ himself. In him alone lies the solution for the problem between the ultimate and the penultimate. End quote. There is a great deal here to ponder, as Mary did when the shepherds left the Christ child so long ago in Bethlehem. The Incarnation is the central archetypal drama of human existence, uniting God and man in paradox. And its mystery is an inexhaustible mine for insight and life. Merry Christmas to all, and we will return to our discussion of the culture war in 2022. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.